step inside into the world of Lady Teal's Curios. Welcome to tonight's episode of Wanderings. I'm your host, Lady Teal. For any new curious minds here, each week we travel around to different locations I have visited in my recent travels. My husband and I live in a 26-foot camper with our Husky Nova and a recent addition to our camper, another Husky named Odin. He is full of energy and we actually just got him yesterday and he and Nova are bonding like crazy. They're playing around, jumping on each other. It's a lot of fun over here. So in these Wanderings episodes, I usually cover the history, lore, unique places to visit, and the towns that we actually go and visit. And right now, this is just in America. Hopefully, in the future, I can bring you episodes from around the world. I did want to give a quick update. My previous Wanderings episode, I talked about the Bradshaw Ranch. Um, I think that was two episodes ago. So I was actually able to go inside the ranch and have some photos from the interior and exterior. I'll post those to Instagram, and don't worry, there was no trespassing involved. Um, But I didn't have any odd experiences, so nothing to report there. I just thought it was really cool that I was actually able to go inside of the buildings that we talked about on those episodes. And there's just... And one of those feelings that you get when you go inside of a historic building, the one adobe structure is supposedly the oldest structure in Sedona. And when we entered it, I just got one of those feelings. I wish I could time travel to see what the ranch was like in its heyday. For the next few episodes, we're going to stick around in Arizona, and tonight we are actually traveling southeast from Sedona to a town called Apache Junction. We first visited Apache Junction in September of 2020. Driving down the main road is nothing really special. Lots of stores, lots of RV lots, very suburban-like. Then you hit the road heading to the Superstition Mountains, and suddenly you are surrounded by a lush desert filled with a variety of cacti. And yes, I know that sounds weird or contradictory, a lush desert, but the desert out here has a lot of vegetation. There's a few different roads that you can take, but eventually you'll end up on Highway 88, also known as Apache Trail. The Superstition Mountains loom ahead, and specifically the mountain that is colloquially known as the Lost Dutchman comes into center frame. In September, when we first visited, it was a balmy 110 degrees, and we came back actually a few weeks ago, like towards the end of January, and it was around 60 to 70 degrees. I've actually been able to wear shorts this whole time, which has been amazing. There was a little bit of a cold snap, but um, if you are looking to visit the Apache Junction and the Superstition Mountain area, I would highly suggest coming when the weather is not as intense because they say Arizona has a dry heat, which is true, but I love the heat and being out here in September when it was 110 degrees, I would walk outside and I did not want to do 
anything. It was so hot. So I did a lot of museum searching and uh, visiting indoor places with air conditioning. (laughs) I visited the Superstition Mountain Museum, which was originally created in an interest to find more information about Jacob Waltz and his infamous Lost Dutchman Mine, which we shall get more into that in just a little bit. This museum is also home to the Apache Land Movie Ranch, which houses the Elvis Chapel, a movie prop that was built for the only film Elvis never sang in, and that was the film Charo. There are indoor exhibits on the Lost Dutchman Mine, as well as outdoor exhibits from the movie ranch. Further down the road is Goldfield Ghost Town. Goldfield Ghost Town is a big tourist destination. Some might even call it a tourist trap because some of the prices are a bit outrageous, but I quite enjoyed it. The original town sprang up in 1892 with around 28 buildings and had about 4,000 people. Five years later, after prospectors had dug out all of the gold, Goldfield became yet another ghost town. There was a brief revival between the years of 1910 and 1926, and then they for some reason changed the name to Youngsburg, and I guess they didn't like that because the town deflated again. In 1943, a fire accidentally burned down about 60% of Goldfield. The buildings burned in the fire left only pieces and parts to be salvaged. So the Goldfield town today that you see is a recreation or a resurrection, if you will, of a town that once was. We spent a good bit of time at the saloon here. So if you go, ask for Tommy. He's the best bartender there. I had myself one or two, maybe even three ice-cold prickly pear margaritas, which I got made fun of for having because apparently... Anything prickly pear in Arizona is just, if you order something that has prickly pear in it, that clues the people in that you are a tourist. I don't care. It was an amazing drink. It tasted really good and it quenched my thirst and that desert heat. And there's actually a mercantile store there that has fudge and the fudge, there's two fudges that I would recommend. They have a prickly pear fudge which is incredibly sweet, but has this unique flavor to it, which I'm guessing is a prickly pear. And then they have this other fudge that has gold in it. Gold actually doesn't really have a flavor at all. Um, It's more of a novelty concept, which I totally loved. And the fudge was delicious. So if you go to the Goldfield town, check out the mercantile shop and check out the saloon you'll have a good time, I promise. So if you travel even further down Highway 88, you'll come across Canyon Lake, which is surprising to see in the middle of a desert. And a bit further down past the lake is another small town called Tortilla Flat. For the next couple episodes, we are going to focus on the mountains that surround all of these locations. The Superstition Mountains are filled with legends of people going for hikes and losing their minds or people disappearing or dying mysteriously. Apache legends say that there is a portal or a hole that leads to hell within these mountains, and that the land is cursed. 
But the main legend these mountains are known for, and still draws treasure hunters from around the world to this day, is that of the famous lost Dutchman. Arizona desert stands a giant of earth and stone, mighty superstition mountain with its mystery and its gold. A miner out prospecting found his fortune and his fame, found the gold of superstition, just plain Dutchman was his name. Oh, the Dutchman was a gambler, and the party was his fun. But he kept his precious secret, never trusting anyone. And in death, he still is laughing, for the greatest secret was, and the mighty superstition. Keeps the Dutchman's yellow gold, yellow gold. Mighty Superstition Mountain, standing high and all alone. Once you told your precious secrets, and you gave your soft, pure gold. Patchy Indians know the story. And in legend there is told many tales of the beginning when you gave your yellow gold. How I'd like to dream and wonder if someday you'll give again the bounty of your treasure to some lonely struggling man and that you in all your splendor may choose me to be the one to find your precious treasure shining yellow in the sun. Oh, the Dutchman was a gambler and the party was his fun but he kept his precious secret never trusting anyone and in death, he still is laughing For the greatest secret holds And the mighty superstition Keeps the Dutchman yellow gold Yellow gold Yellow gold The mysteries start back as early as 1540 when Spanish conquistador Francisco Vasquez de Coronado came to look for one of the seven golden cities. However, the Apache believed the Superstition Mountains to be sacred ground, and they told Coronado this. They told Coronado that if he trespassed, 
the thunder god would cause his people much suffering and there would be dire consequences. Back then, the Apache referred to these mountains as the Devil's Playground. However, doing as typical conquistadors do, Coronado did not listen. He plunged ahead in his search for the legendary gold, and that's when his men began to mysteriously vanish. Bodies were found mutilated, and some even with their heads chopped off. This caused the conquistadors to flee in horror and refuse to ever return. Later, in the 1700s, a priest by the name of Eusubio Francisco Kino wanted to visit the land to Christianize the Apaches. And while he was there, he heard about these legends of the gold in the mountains. He began to explore and reportedly found the gold. But the stories are not clear if he actually found the supposed Mother Lode mine. There's a lot of small gold patches in these mountains, but the Lost Dutchman legendary mine that we're talking about is a huge motherlode mine. So the Apaches were furious about the men trespassing again, of course, and they began to hunt the explorers. Later, in 1748, much of the land that surrounds the mountains was given to a Mexican man named Don Miguel Peralta. And just a little side note, where we are currently staying as I am recording this episode is supposedly part of the land that Peralta owned. Peralta had found silver mines and he had over 3,500 acres, so the land area that he accumulated was huge, but this land that we are currently camping on <laughs> was his land at some point, and I just kind of find that kind of cool. Maybe I'll run into some of the Peralta ghosts. Who knows? So back to the story. Peralta found several silver mines as well as a rich gold mine. And here is where we find the first actually recorded documentation of the legendary mine's existence. Okay, and I'm going to pause real quick. There are some dogs in the background. So if you hear that going on, that's just all of my crazy dogs having fun back there, so don't mind them. <laughs> okay, so the Peraltas were well aware of the Apaches' disapproval. They had heard about all of the damage, the hunting that they did, they heard about the legends, and they didn't want to incur any da damages themselves. So they kept their mining trips small and at a minimum. And they were very discreet about it. They did not want to displease the Apaches, and this worked for a very long time. Almost a hundred years later, some of the descendants decided they were tired of that. They didn't want to do that method anymore. They wanted to get richer quicker. And they were under a bit of a pressure because the land was under a grant. And they wanted to extract as much gold as possible before that land became part of the United States property. The Apache got wind of their plan, and as the Peralta descendants were heading back to Mexico during 1847 to 1848, they were attacked. No surprise there, right? Their burros and wagons spilled everywhere, and two prospectors supposedly came across three dead burros with saddles still intact that contained some $37,000 worth of gold. 
Rumor has it that the Apache did not take the gold with them because they knew it to be cursed. And keep this point in mind because I find this fact to be really interesting. A lot of the stories that we're gonna, going to get into, the gold is always left behind. Which, if you were going to murder somebody, wouldn't you want to take the gold and any valuables they had on them? Just keep that in mind. You'll hear me mention some other stories later on, and I'll refer back to this one. You think one major attack would be enough to sway a family from returning, but no. A few years later, in 1864, another Peralta led around 400 men back to the range, and this guy's name was Enrico Peralta. Long story short, there is now an area known as Massacre Ground because all but one survived the Apache attack on the Peralta family. So the Peralta family never returned, and the location of the mine was lost until the arrival of one Abraham Thorne in 1865. During this period of time, the Apaches were distracted with the military men of Fort McDowell. Thorne was an army doctor, and he had gained respect among much of the Apache people because he also tended to the wounds of their people. In fact, they respected him so much that they gifted him a 20-mile blindfolded trip in 1870 to the secret location of the Motherlode Mine. He found himself in a canyon with piles of gold. The Apache let him pick up as much as he could carry. And of course, he returned blindfolded back. He was able to sell his ore for about $6,000, which was a lot back then. And this convinced him that he could find the cache of gold on his own and become wealthier. So he gathered some friends around and they went on a hike and they were actually able to find the secret location. However, his glory was short-lived because the Apache found him and his group on the way back to Phoenix and they killed them all. So finally, we come to Jacob Watts. He was a German immigrant who had befriended some of the Peralta heirs and supposedly told the location of the mine. And now there's multiple stories around Jacob Waltz and how he found out about the location. And I'm just going to give you the rundown of a couple of them. He worked at a gold mine near Wickenburg and met an Apache girl named Ken T. Ken T eventually became his mistress. And from what I read, it didn't, most of the stuff never mentioned her age. But there must have been a significant difference because at this time, Waltz was supposedly 60 years old and everything I read said that it was surprising she was willing to become his mistress due to the age difference. So I'm thinking she's probably pretty young. After being dismissed from the Wickenburg mine, the two moved to the Superstition Mountain Range. The whole uh, story or stories that surround Jacob Waltz, um, they don't, sometimes they portray him as kind of a hero or a legend, and he kind of sounded like a douchebag, to be honest. (laughs) Um, He was discharged from the original mine because he was grading ore higher than what it was worth, and then later in life, once he found the motherload mine, he supposedly killed people 
because he was afraid that they were going to reveal its location. He doesn't really seem like a, a nice dude, but I guess that's beside the point. So like I said, he was dismissed from Wickenburg, and Kinty and Waltz moved to the Superstition Mountain Range. Now, there's other versions of the story that say that Waltz learned about the location of the mine from Kinty because she was an Apache and all the Apache knew the location of the mine. It was a sacred secret. So the Apache actually attacked Waltz and Kinty when they found out that she had given away their secret and they cut her tongue out. But the two were able to escape and they started running a saloon in Tortilla Flat. So I'm not sure which version is true, and for all we know, neither could be, but on with the story. Later, he and one of his friends, Jacob Weiser, started going back to the Superstition Mountains. Suddenly, miners were able to pay for supplies in Phoenix with high-grade gold, but no one would ever share where it was coming from. And then Weiser disappeared. This became very suspect. There were many rumors, of course, surrounding his death. Some even speculated that Waltz killed his partner because he was afraid that his partner was going to reveal the secret location of the mine. People were wanting to know where this gold was coming from, and people were already suspicious about the death of Weiser, so then people started following Waltz as he would go into the mountains to gather more supplies and gold. But he knew his way so well around the mountains that he would lose his followers and never told another soul where the gold was located until he was on his deathbed. He gave clues to his caretaker, Julia Thomas, and his friends, the, I'm not sure how to pronounce this actually, I think it's Petrashes. They went searching for it but they could never find it, and after Waltz's death, the mine became known as the Lost Dutchman, and that is what it's known as today. A lot of people confuse the Germans with the Dutch, so that's how it got its name. Legend has it that the mine is actually cursed, like I mentioned before. Julia Thomas spent everything she owned trying to find it, and lost everything. The Petrashes spent the rest of their lives looking for it, and over the years, other prospectors would search for the mine, but would either disappear or be found dead. Every decade, it seemed there was death and tragedy surrounding the mountains. So we're just going to go through a little rundown to show you how many people have died. We'll start in 1910. In 1910, a woman's skeleton was found with a few gold nuggets. Remember when I told you that people were constantly found with gold on them? In 1927, a father and his two sons were hiking and rocks fell. The father believed that someone had pushed the boulders and one of the boy's legs was crushed. In 1928, two hunters were driven off by rolling boulders that they also swore appeared as if someone had pushed them. In 1931, a treasure hunting hobbyist named Adolf Roof went missing and was later found with two holes in his head. The coroner never said that he could positively ID the holes as bullet holes. Everybody was convinced that it was foul play, but there was no evidence to prove it. In 1934, 
another man named Adam Stewart died with causes of death unknown. In 1936, hobbyist treasure hunter Roman O'Hall died from a fall. In 1937, a prospector named Guy Hematite Frank was able to return from the mountains with some gold samples, but was later found shot in the stomach with the gold left behind. That same year, a man and his family found a quartz rock. They were picnicking in the mountains, and they found this rock, and then they later found out that it was filled with gold. But before he could return to the spot to go look for more gold, he had a heart attack, and his wife couldn't remember how to get to the location. In 1945, Barry Storm wrote a book about the lost Dutchman and claimed that he narrowly escaped from a mysterious sniper. In 1947, prospector James Cravey made a trip to the mountains that was widely publicized, only to go missing and then later be found as a skeleton with his head missing. In 1949, another man disappeared. In 1951, a doctor was found shot to death. In 1952, another prospector vanished, and his skeleton was later found with a shot to the skull. That same year, two young men, or boys, uh, I read a couple different resources, and they didn't have specific ages, but um, two young men went hiking. They vanished. No remains have ever been found for these two young men. In 1955, Charles Massey, a hunter, was found shot to death between the eyes. In 1956, another treasure hunter went missing. He was later found with a bullet hole in his head. In 1956, another treasure hunter went missing, and he was later found with a bullet hole in his head and the gun under his body. The death was ruled as suicide. In 1959, two men thought they had found the mother load, but they had actually just found pyrite, which we all know is considered fool's gold. They thought they had actually found the mine, so they got in a fight about who was going to take how much, and the one friend killed the other. Later that year, a prospector was trying to drill a hole through a section called Weaver's Needle and was killed by a fellow prospector named Piper. Two months after Piper killed his fellow prospector friend, Piper was found dead. In 1960, a group of hikers found yet another headless skeleton and they determined it to be a missing student. A few days later, another skeleton was found and was ID'd as a painter from San Francisco. In 1961, a family picnicking found a body buried beneath the sand, and the man was ID'd as a prospector, and he was shot in the back. That same year, another prospector was found with bullet holes throughout his body. And another prospector had gone missing. There was this massive search. His body was actually found three years later with his head missing. This is like the third or fourth person their head missing. It's crazy. In 1963, a man working his way through Weaver's Needle fell to his death. In 1964, two brothers were found dead at the bottom of the cliff, and an elderly couple was found murdered in a car. In 1970, a prospector named Al Morrow was killed by a boulder. In 1976, a prospector was found dead from a gunshot wound. In 1977, another man was found dead from gunshots. In 1978, Manuel Valdez was murdered. In 1980, the skeleton of a man named Rick Finning was found. 
1984, a prospector named Walt Gassler was found dead with his pack filled with gold ore. This is another one of those. They're found dead or murdered, but they still have the gold on them. And we're going to jump to the 2000s. In 2009, another prospector disappeared. He was later found in 2013, his body wedged between rocks underneath a cliff, so it's likely that he fell. In 2010, three people who were searching for the treasure went missing and were later found by a hunter, only skeletal remains. In 2012, a 56-year-old and 71-year-old, both avid hikers, died separate times. They weren't together, but um, they were both very avid hikers. They passed away. In 2013, the body of Eric Fernandez was found by a hiker. So as you can see, there is a long history of death and mysterious disappearances related to this mountain range. Now, after experiencing the severe heat in September, I can attest to the fact that certain times of year are just too hot to hike out here. They actually had the trails closed. You were not allowed to hike because they have so many incidents where people go hiking and don't bring enough water and they become dehydrated and they end up having to call for helicopters to be sent in to help them. And anyone, no matter how experienced you are, could die of dehydration. In other seasons, the weather in the mountains can quickly change. As I mentioned before, the Apache believed the mountains to hold a thunder god because storms would appear right over the mountain range. So you would start hiking in shorts, and then all of a sudden, the weather would change, and you could experience hypothermia by the time you reach the top of the mountains. There's also many box canyons that are within the mountains, which make it kind of hard to figure out your location. And supposedly in some areas, the magnetic forces are so strong that compasses are not able to be read properly. So it's easy to see how people could die from natural causes, things like falls, heat strokes, hypothermia, other reasons related to the elements. But at the same time, it's so strange how many deaths have been recorded in this area over the past centuries. Waltz left behind many clues in the form of riddles on his deathbed, and people to this day are still searching for the legendary mine. In fact, the History Channel did a whole special on it. Um, there are a bunch of treasure hunters that have been looking for this mine. Like I said, some people dedicate their lives to looking for it. The Superstition Mountain Museum houses some of these supposed clues and riddles that Waltz and other people from the Peralta family left behind. There's controversy as far as whether some of these clues are fake. For example, the Peralta stone maps are four stone maps that were discovered on the side of a road in 1940 by a police officer. And these maps are very, very controversial in the treasure hunting world. Some people believe these are basically red herrings. Some people believe the stones are copies from the original Peralta family drawings. Whatever the case, the mystery remains to this day. And that is not the only mystery of the Superstition Mountains. Next week, we're going to dive into part two of the legends and lore that surround these strange mountains, including UFO sightings, ancient ruins, mysterious beings beneath the mountains, tunnels, and more. 
if you've ever had an experience at any of the locations I visited and talk about on this show, I'd love to hear about it. I would love to incorporate audience stories, so if you've got a good one, feel free to send them to ladytealscurios at gmail.com. Thank you for joining me on tonight's episode. Stay tuned next week for part two. Until next time, stay curious.